Hello everyone, welcome to the Talking Pharmacy podcast, where we take a look back at what's been happening in pharmacy over the past week or so. My name is Richard Thomas, I'm the editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and joining me on the pod this week are Rob Darracott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of our daily news service, Pharmacy Network News, and Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. So last week's pod was the first of our postcards, so thank you to everyone who took the trouble to get in touch, to give us some feedback, which means we've got a lot to catch up on this week. I'm going to start with a shout out to a couple of friends of the pod. And thank you to uh, pharmacist Sarah Davis, who got in touch to say that the podcast is the one that I try not to miss each week. It's informative, relevant and entertaining. So thank you, Sarah, very much for that. If I was in the post. And um, Mark Donovan, chief pharmacist at Boots, has got in touch to say he got so engrossed in the pods that he listened to four of them, four of them back to back while out on his morning run. And he ended up running the equivalent of a half marathon. Uh, Well, that's a very slow half marathon, Mark, but fair play. Good effort to listen to us rabbiting on for two hours plus. And uh, thanks for getting in touch. And I should say at this point that we've got some great names coming up in our interview slot in the run-up to Christmas. Uh, some real heavy hitters. We can't reveal the names just yet while we put the final bits and pieces together in terms of setting these interviews up. But watch this space. So let's start straight away with good week, bad week. Rob, who's had a good week for you? Good afternoon. I think it's been a good week for the NAO and transparency. Uh, so this week we've had a report from the National Audit Office about the um, giving us some answers to the questions that have been increasingly asked about how the government has managed to spend quite so much money on personal protective equipment. Now, I know that um, right back in March and April, there was a huge issue with getting hold of, of equipment. But as we're now starting to see some details of some of these uh, contracts that they've um, they've gone into with various parties from around the world, Uh, We can see that they've been spending rather a lot of taxpayers' money on this stuff. Uh, Welcome there the equipment might be. Um, There are clearly questions and answers need to be given. But why is this important and why do we raise it here? Because this podcast is basically about pharmacy. Well, I'd contrast the government's largesse um, to non-UK-based individuals and businesses who just happen to know somebody in China with its rather more parsimonious attitude and foot-dragging when it comes to reimbursing UK-based businesses for expenses legitimately incurred in continuing to provide services to actual people on the front line. So, while we may or may not have learnt something from NHSE's Community Pharmacy webinar last week, which seems to suggest the DHSC is now finally considering BSNC's case, or might even have made an offer, which nobody seems to know much about, What remains is the issue itself for me. Uh, If the government can honestly find 21 million quid for some jewellery designer in Florida for his contacts book, which it also appears he might even have passed to a mate to actually use, then what's the problem in recognising the way community pharmacy invested because it had to in screens, structural changes, staffing, equipment back in March and April this year? Now, of course, I suppose just in finishing, um, I guess we ought to point out that many of the contracts exposed by the National Audit Office have met with protests of it's all above board and ministers weren't involved in the decisions, but it's pretty fishy 
when what seems not to be denied is that it was a mate's hotline when the government was scaring the world for PPE, but that mate's hotline was very much not attached to mate's rates. Yeah, good good point, Rob. I mean, that National Audit Office report, that was so damning, wasn't it? I mean, multiple serious shortcomings in the way that the, the UK government awarded contracts you know, for things like PPE, no tenders, no oversight, no scrutiny. And um, I think the worrying thing going forward, I suppose, from, from the, the national perspective, is if they're going to be spending, what, £100 billion, allegedly, on this moonshot programme, well, what kind of oversight is there on that type of money? I mean, it's, it's yeah, and, and you make a very good point, Rob, as well, like, like the contrast with, with the situation that, that pharmacy contractors are facing. Um, yeah, fishy, fishy is the word. Arthur, uh, what about you? Who's had a good week for you? Uh, well, potentially promising news about aspirin, the humble analgesic, in a recent study in anaesthesia and analgesia. Um, it was found that aspirin reduced um, in-hospital mortality, the need to go to intensive care, and the need for ventilation among uh, patients admitted with COVID-19. Um, these are preliminary findings. They need they, It needs to be confirmed by a ra- proper randomised trial, but you know, we, this is an awful pandemic. We need everything in our arsenal that we can to, um, to, to keep patients well, keep them healthy. And so, so very promising findings. The, um, Dr. Jonathan Chow, who, um, who led the study said, uh, if the findings confirmed, it could make aspirin the first widely available over the counter medication to reduce mortality in COVID-19 patients. So, uh, so yeah, so that was quite promising news on the, um, on the clinical front that I thought. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it, that, like you say, are the humble old aspirin, um, yet another thing that it, it perhaps could do, protect against COVID. And uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, we need everything we can we can throw at this uh, pandemic. And maybe OTC aspirin, you know, has some of the answers. Um, Neil, who's had a good week for you? Well, before I just go into my good week, I just want to add to what Rob was saying about the National Audit Office report about these PPE contracts, and uh, as good as as good a week as it's been for the National Audit Office in shedding some light on some of this, uh, well, disastrous material that we're 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 seeing now, um, it's been an absolutely disastrous week for the, the Department of Health. And um, you know, the law says you have 30 days to publish details of these contracts, 30 days, and it's been six or seven months now, and we still don't know a lot of the a lot of the details. So it's it's just an utter disgrace, the Department of Health. Um, and we on, on ICP here, we've had um, uh, personal experience of this because we did submit a freedom of information request to the Department of Health um, about a company. Um, we just wanted some questions answered, uh, some some genuine questions, and and uh, they 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 refused to answer our freedom of information request because they said it would cost too much money, and it would take too much time to respond to our questions, which were very legitimate questions about you know that particular contract. It's an utter disgrace. Um, and I completely agree with Rob. It, it doesn't. It just pours fuel on the fire when you hear um, the likes of Alex, Shar- Alex Sharma and other cabinet ministers, you know, completely defending, you know, this. Oh, the proper checks were carried out. Well, that doesn't wash, and it, and it's an utter disgrace. Um, so I just thought I'd mention that. Um, we hopefully the audit office report will, you know, go some way to sort of uh, putting some of that straight. Um, my good week is uh, the, the all-party pharmacy group. Um, and they launched an inquiry into the financial impact of COVID on pharmacies and pharmacy services. It's a, a very um, important report, but we, again, we wait to see how what, what impact it has. Um, the inquiry has been set up with a view to securing extra support, the APPG said, from the government 
and NHS only, only needs identified. So it wants uh, responses from a pharmacist, it wants the evidence, it wants all this by the end of this month. So there's not a lot of time, uh, but I suppose speed is, is, is of the essence. Um, and it will publish a series of recommendations as a result of all of this. Um, is this the question that springs to mind here? Is, is this the decisive help that the PSNC needs to finally secure some, some you know, much needed COVID help from the government? Do they need this leg up? Perhaps they do. Um, but I don't know what impact as ever uh, the APPG report will, will have. They, they've been fairly quiet. I know it's been the pandemic and, and, and it's, this year has been a bit of a write-off in that regard. But generally speaking, we haven't heard too much from the APPG on, on, pharmacy, on pharmacy, uh, pharmacy issues over the last well, a couple of years, I, I don't think. Um, they've, they've, they've swung into action here and uh, let's see what influence this report has. Hopefully it'll have a positive influence. Yeah, good call. The all-party pharmacy group, back from the dead, um, some might say. It's been rather moribund, like you say, Neil, uh, these last few years. I've got Jackie Doyle-Price MP as the, as the new chair. Um, yeah, you're right. Some people might say, oh, it's just another survey. Um, but I think yeah, it's really important because it helps to build the picture, doesn't it? And it strengthens the, the narrative about, about pharmacy's role in all of this. And and yeah, the all-party pharmacy group has been very influential in the past, hasn't it? And about raising pharmacy's profile and, and the issues that the sector faces in Parliament. So, you know, it's powerful too. You, you, you don't turn down an invitation to give evidence to this group. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a significant move. And yeah, I would urge everybody to, to, to get their evidence in. Uh, to the all-party pharmacy group. We shall be reporting on the results in due course. Uh, for me, then, it's been a good week for Elsie Gomez-Campos, uh, who, as we know, is president of the UK Black Pharmacists Association. Um, now, this week, she gave uh, a very powerful interview to Neil uh, in which she warned that, that pharmacy is hindered by a deep-rooted denial of racial inequality within the profession. And it, it was both uh, naive and ill-informed to assume that pharmacy uh, is unaffected by the racial prejudices that affect um, society at large. Uh, it's a really good good piece from Neil. I was particularly struck by one thing that Elsie said, and it did cause me to pause and think, um, where she mentioned that the racism that she encounters or encountered when she qualified over 20 years ago now has evolved into a more subtle form of discrimination today. And yeah, I think I need to learn a bit more about that. I thought that was a, a very interesting thing to say. Uh, and Elsie talks really well about education and role models being at least some of the answers to this problem. Uh, as I said, it's a really powerful read. Um, and I, I urge you uh, to look it up if you haven't already. Some great stuff from Neil. Uh, good week for Elsie Gomez-Campos. <laughs> So let's move on to who's had a bad week in pharmacy. Um, I'll start here. It's been a bad week for the pharmacy press. Now, I know these are difficult times, aren't they, for journalists? We've talked about this on the pod before in this fake news era and the attitudes that you know, some people um, in power, power and responsibility these days uh, have with the press and marginalisation of of journalists and everyone wants to control the message, don't they? And uh, us pesky journalists just get in the way. Um, and we get, you know, our fair share of this in the pharmacy press too. So I thought it might be interesting uh, to share some examples with listeners, all of which happened in the past week. There was the, the senior leader uh, in the sector, 
who got in touch to ask uh, why we weren't featuring their organisation in our news coverage more. And did other organisations pay to have their quotes included? A quite ridiculous thing to say. Um, and they don't pay, by the way. Then there was uh, the Department of Health, who, this is interesting, they refused to put up on their website uh, a profile that we had done uh, of a pharmacist working in NHS Test and Trace. Uh, and they they didn't want to put it up because it contained some some criticism of the early performance of the, the testing regime, um, which is quite funny in itself, isn't it? Criticism of the early performance, still not any better. And it's a really interesting profile, actually, and it, it gave a, a fantastic insight into what this pharmacist does within Test and Trace. And it was a pharmacist's idea that this should go up on the D8 site so it could be seen by the the widest possible audience. We thought that was a good idea, but no, not to be. It wasn't on message. And then there's the trend uh, not to ask the press to report on conferences and meetings and webinars because they're discussing operational issues as if these don't matter to the press. We saw this with the NHSE webinar last week, didn't we, that, that Rob mentioned. And I think there's been a gathering of LPC reps this week where the same applies. And there was an MPA winter conference last week, which we didn't know was happening at all until it started. Absolutely no communication with us. And I think it's worth saying that in the days when we were asked and could attend conferences in person, probably about 90% of what went on just wasn't reported. And the value we get as journalists was more often in talking to pharmacists and professional leaders so we could get a better understanding of these operational issues. And this then informs our reporting. So... All of this is a rather worrying trend, I think, uh, and not a healthy one. And the one thing I think I would say to our, our readers and listeners is you need to be really aware these days of the, the provenance of any information you receive and how it might have been spun before it reaches you directly as the end user, uh, all of which uh, makes the role of an independent, neutral questioning in press more important than ever, I'd say. Uh, especially in pharmacies. So for a collection of incidents to illustrate a wider problem, it's been a bad week for the pharmacy press. Neil, what about you? Who's had a bad week for you? Well, I think it's been a bad week for patients in England, Scotland and Wales um, after the news that uh, FMD, the Falsified Medicines Directive, uh, is to be switched off in pharmacies by December the 31st. This is obviously, obviously tied in with this, this long-standing Brexit saga. Um, now, it's arguably good news for pharmacists. Um, that might be a cynical thing to say, but uh, certainly judging by some of the responses we've had on Twitter, uh, I think lots of pharmacists are pretty pretty stressed out and uh, a degree of apprehension about you know getting involved in FMD. And now that it's not going to be going ahead, there seems to be a degree of relief. I think one pharmacist said, thank God for that uh, on Twitter. Um, but it's not good news for, uh, well, potentially it's, it's not good news for for patients in England, Scotland and Wales, not Northern Ireland because of the Northern Ireland uh, protocol, of course, they, uh, they will continue using it to, to an extent, but certainly in those other countries. Um, I'm, 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 not, I'm sure that if patients understood, uh, or if they do, some of them may understand the, the, the machinations behind FMD, but those who, who do understand it would, would be pretty concerned perhaps because, you know, one view is that, uh, you know, the UK, how is the UK now going to 100% secure the safety and integrity of the medicine supply chain? Uh, given that the whole reason that they signed up to FMD, the whole reason FMD was introduced in the first place, was to do that that very thing. Um, so I, I, I think there might be some concerns around that. We do know, of course, that there's uh, legislation going through Parliament at the moment, um, 
designed to, to sort of uh, introduce those safeguards. Uh, it's making its way through Parliament. Um, but I, I wonder, I, the question I thought when, when I sort of heard this news is, I, first of all, I wonder how many pharmacists will be pretty happy about the end of FMD. How many would think, was it really worth it in the first place? And now, with this new legislation going through Parliament, what will, you know, how will this, affect, how will this you know, practically um, involve pharmacists? You know, uh, you know, FMD did seem obviously very hands-on for pharmacists. They would have to decommission products. It was part, you know, scanning barcodes. It was all very hands-on, obviously. But this new legislation going through, I don't think there's too much detail as to how that's going to directly impact pharmacies. But it's not been a great week. I wouldn't say it's been a disastrous week for patients, but it, it, with the uncertainty at the moment, medicine supply chain uh, crucial that it's uh, it keeps out counterfeit medicines and harmful uh, uh, product i think that patients might be looking at this thinking oh, a little bit apprehensive about the future here yeah true i mean i think that legislation going through there's no detail on it at all i think all they, the government is committed to do is set up a kind of uh, you know a similar system in in, in due course but you know let, look don't you know, keep this amongst ourselves, um, my fellow colleagues, but a lot of pharmacists have given up on FMD anyway. And, uh, you know, playing, playing devil's advocate here, I mean, I, I don't think patients are, are going to be any less safe on January the 1st, you know, than they were before. Most of the packs were in the FMD system anyway. And um, not that um, I think we should be complacent, but I think what they've been, I think, less than 10 instances since 2011 of counterfeits in entering the legitimate supply chain, you know, as I said, I'm not, I'm not complacent. I dare say we'll get an equivalent uh, at some point, but yeah, I, I don't think I, I, if I was a patient, I wouldn't be too worried about that. I think I'd be more worried as a contractor if I spent a lot of money on scanners, etc. And and you know, for what? I mean, such a waste of money. I'd be interested whether they would be uh, compensated for that in due course. So uh, yeah, interesting one there, Neil. Um, the demise of FMD. Um, Rob, who's had a bad week for you? Well, I'm going to follow on from your uh, your one, Richard, really, uh, and say that I'm not sure it's been a brilliant week for pharmacy representation. Uh, so um, the the right review uh, started when September last year. Uh, the report was due out in March. Obviously, coronavirus delayed it by three months. Clearly, people didn't like the answer too much and what's the next steps uh, clear desire for progress I think there was but the next steps is to have a steering group uh, to meet for the next uh, six months and produce some proposals by the 31st of March 2021 so um, I mean to have a review that has a review that results in a review group um, uh, interesting but you know maybe it's slow progress and it i it is a complicated area uh the thing i would just uh urge people who might possibly want to contribute to this to have a little bit of thought about is that yes it's very complicated um and yes asking lots of uh, pharmacy organizations and representative groups to get involved in something is possibly not going to come up with sensible uh solutions if there aren't people who understand things like uh, organisational design and employment law and uh, a whole bunch of other things which might be adversely impacted uh, by any proposals that come forward. And while it does, it, while it, it, the, the piece of paper I'm looking at says that the review steering group can call on who it likes, you know, I think urgently they need to think about 
the kind of expertise that they need to make sure that um, that this gets uh, to an answer relatively quickly because time's ticking. And as we will discuss, uh, as we've discussed before, and as we will talk about next Tuesday in our next uh, webcast series in series. Um, things are happening locally, things are happening nationally, and pharmacy needs to be operating effectively on all fronts if it's going to um, make the most of uh, some of its experiences and some of the uh, post-pandemic, if we get there, redesign that's going to happen in healthcare. Uh, and, you know, having uh, learned committees talking about what might and might not happen is one thing, but actually getting to a point where things start changing uh, and contractors get appropriate representation where they need it is is another one. Yeah, so Rob, are you concerned about the speed of the speed of the process? Is it just too slow? It feels a bit slow to me. I know it. I know there's lots going on and lots of things are happening, but I think um, that you know the the sort of ac- it's not an academic exercise, but you you've had a review that uh, took a lot of evidence and and did a lot of thinking and looked at other organisations and so on and so forth and came up with some recommendations. Uh, And then to chuck all that into the melting pot of another another steering group, uh, to me, just seems a little bit complicated when people broadly accepted the the thrust of the recommendations. I I know getting from recommendations into an actual implementation plan is very difficult. And what I'm saying is that um, hopefully this steering group is able to call on people who understand how you go from A to B in complex uh, change programs to, to to help this whole thing through and that they remain focused on the end game which it seems to me is effective representation nationally and locally of community pharmacy in a rapidly changing and increasingly challenging uh, health and care environment. It was never going to be a, a smooth or quick process and nor, and nor should it have been a quick process this has to you yeah we've got to get this right and it, it needs to we do need to take time to, to make sure we get it spot on uh, because it's such an important uh, such an important set of reforms but what interested me i think it was a couple of weeks ago 10 days ago was the psnc just from this is purely from an independence point of view was the psnc reporting that they'd received uh the lpcs had told them that independents uh, were, were concerned about the ability of 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 independence to get to, to you know to to get on this steering group to apply it to get on now i don't know whether that is because they're finding their path is being blocked or whether things are being made deliberately difficult for them or whether they just don't know how to do it i, I there wasn't it, it, we don't actually know what, what what's actually what that involves but you know it, it does seem even at, at this stage and you're right we could have been further down the road with this maybe we should have but there are little problems that are occurring particularly with the independent sector um but perhaps you might have envisaged let's put it that way i think the big issue for me neil just to follow on from that is that i you know in in any kind of organizational development work that i've ever been involved in you thought about what you needed to do first and then you decided how best you might achieve that and i think that we still don't have any great clarity in in how the sector as a whole sees the challenge of of representation and where it needs to be exercising um, influence. And unless you've got those things clear, um, then how are you going to design and redesign a system to deliver representation in its broadest sense when you when you're not entirely sure what you're going to be what you're going to need? You know, I, I think we we are aware of our 
you know, massive changes coming down the tracks. You know, the whole uh, COVID vaccine program nationally is going to be delivered through uh, through PCN groupings, uh, which makes them, I think, incredibly important. Uh, we've got liaison roles, but I don't think anybody's really clear how we how we use them, uh, what skills they need, what sort of plan they're operating to. And it all just seems a bit random because we don't really know what the end point is, is going to be. And I, I understand, you know, moving from a system where historically we've had a set of negotiations at na national level to recognising that we're dealing in a complex and multi-layered world. Um, but some of those elements, the, the layers further down, more local to, to, to the pharmacy contractors themselves are becoming more real now. In, you know, uh, the, um, the integrated care systems are starting to have more flesh on the bones and certainly the PCNs are. And a lot of work is now being moved through and led by primary care network clinical directors. And if pharmacy isn't engaging in those structures, then it's going to be playing catch up. Yeah, I think the, the, the ticking clock is a, is a, is a good point rob because things are moving pretty quickly you know in 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 the local live system we've got commissioning systems that we've got at the moment but yeah i can also you know neil's absolutely right you know there there are some questions being raised about this uh, this steering group you know who's going to be who's going to be on it how are they going to carry out their work um like neil, neil said how are independent contractors you know, going to be applied to be on it can they be on it how is it going to be fair? So, I mean, all that's going to take, all that to me is going to take you know, an awful lot of time. Um, I suppose there is a time frame, Rob, you mentioned. So, you know, we, 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 will, we will keep an eye on, on progress within that time frame. But yes, it's very important to get this right. And it's very important that the review steering group is properly formed and then goes about it, it, its work. But it all takes time. And um, well, you know, time is, the clock is ticking, like I say. So interesting stuff. Uh, we'll keep an eye on on that. Um, Arthur, what about you? Who's had a, a bad week? Well, definitely a bad day yesterday for the major players in the US retail pharmacy market. So that's Walgreens, uh, CVS and Rite Aid. Uh, Amazon announced yesterday that it was, an, uh, it was launching Amazon Pharmacy. Uh, it's online pharmacy where you can order prescriptions for delivery. Um, it's it uses insurance, but there's this funny thing where if you don't use your, your insurance, you can get a, a discount off, off generic medicines or generic and brand medicines. Um, I don't know, the, the US medicines uh, market is, always strikes me as peculiar. Um, but bad news for, for the retail pharmacies anyway. I think uh, Walgreen Boots Alliance lost almost 10% uh, off its share price yesterday, more than in early trading. So that was obviously in reaction to the, the news that there's a big competitor at the in the market um i was following some of the coverage in the us yesterday and it was interesting to see that a lot of the sort of narrative is similar to to what we've heard here in terms of um well it's up now to bricks and mortar brick and mortar pharmacies to diversify their offering invest more in in face-to-face -face services and so on and also talking about sort of the the important role they've played during the coronavirus pandemic in america um but if you're you know if um, anyone on the board of these companies will have been been shaken a bit by by the news yesterday. Um, also interesting to to watch, you know, keep an eye on whether Amazon has has an eye on the UK market. It is seeking to to trademark the name Amazon Pharmacy in the UK, though. Uh, though people have pointed out that um, there aren't quite the same incentives in the UK pharmacy market as there might be in the US. 
um, and whether the UK pharmacy contract will be ultimately all that appealing to a company like Amazon. So um, so bad week for, for brick and mortar pharmacies in the US. Yeah, thanks, Arthur. Very different models, like you say, uh, in the US and the UK, but no doubt that Amazon spooked um, conventional bricks and mortar pharmacies in the States, didn't they? I think shares in those US pharmacy chains dropped by about 10%, didn't they? Walgreens Boots Alliance and, and, and CVS Health, uh, which I think is the largest chain in America. And uh, I have to say, kudos to Arthur. This was Arthur's story. And Arthur did actually get a uh, a response from Amazon about their their UK plans. I mean, they, they, they weren't saying very much, but they did respond, uh, which was more than the Times business section got. They refused to comment uh, to the Times. So uh, well done, Arthur, for getting a quote from Amazon. So that was an interesting one there with Amazon's ambitious plans to uh, to break into the US pharmacy market. So now we move on to any other business, which is our, our chance to look uh, outside of the world of pharmacy, if we can. And well, I'll kick off here. Um, very sad to note the passing of uh, Ray Clements, that great Liverpool goalkeeper from that fantastic team of the 70s. And Neil, a massive Liverpool fan, will appreciate this. Um, very sad day. Great goalkeeper, great man. I loved those pictures of him uh, with that green goalkeeper's top and the red shorts and the red socks of his club. Um, nothing like the ridiculous kits that goalkeepers wear today. Proper kit, no gloves. Yeah, that was when football was a, was a proper game. But very sad uh, to see the passing of uh, Ray Clements there. Um, Neil, who, what about any other business? What have you seen this week? Well, I've, I think mean, you stolen my thunder a bit there, Richard. Oh, oh, I was sorry. just going to uh, mention Ray, but uh, no, no, that's all right. I mean, I completely agree with everything you said, really. Yeah, and, and you're, you're totally right because it was when football was proper football in those days when you were able to sort of tackle and and, and that there was a, you were allowed a little bit of physical contact and not get a red card for it, and you didn't have red roll ro- people rolling around all over the place. So a little uh, bit of physical contact, <laughs> a little bit of physical. Well. <laughs> If, if I take out Tommy Smith and uh, Norman Hunter and uh, Ron Chopper Harris and uh, Billy Bremner, yeah, a little bit of physical contact, Rob. But, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and you know, whenever you hear the interviews about, I mean, there's a lot of Liverpool, and I'm sure there's a lot of Liverpool fans in the pharmacy industry, and, and they'll all appreciate this. But you, you hear interviews, people at New Ray Clements, and the first thing they say is he was just a really decent, lovely human being. Well, that's the first thing people say about him. He was a, a top man. I didn't have the pleasure of meeting him, unfortunately. But, um, but uh, yeah. Terrible news, tragic news. Thanks. Neil, Arthur, uh, what have you seen this week? Uh, well, it already feels like old news that happened last Friday, but uh, Dominic Cummings making his exit from number 10 um, was quite dramatic, wasn't it? Um, I mean, you have to wonder, it seemed so orchestrated and the pictures were so, you know, dramatised. You'd have to wonder whether it's a bit of a stunt and whether, you know, he might be still involved to some degree. I don't know if that's me being a conspiracy nut, but it just seemed like such a... A PR stud, um, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, and who's heard of? I mean, who'd ever heard of Lee Kane before he went <laughs> until a couple of weeks ago? These are the movers and shakers in in Downing Street. Lee Kane. I mean, uh, I was like, who? Um, you know, and if we're, it was definitely one for Westminster Anoraks, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, never, never. Heard Absolutely. Of and if if rumours are to be believed, it's Lee Kane and Dominic Cummings that had uh, persuaded the government and Boris Johnson to not talk to Good Morning Britain. So there, there was this obviously Piers Morgan. 
you know, goes on about this 100 and whatever 20 day boycott of, of Good Morning Britain because he gives them all a hard time. And apparently it was Lee Kane and Dominic Cummings who were the driving force behind that. And now they've both gone all of a sudden. The, the ministers are back on Good Morning Britain. So I don't know, I don't know if there's anything in that, but obviously. Uh, it, it definitely it, it suggests a change of tack, doesn't it? But you're right. You can't that you can't get many more government ministers to, on that Good Morning Britain sofa to be savaged by Piers Morgan at the moment. Um, so yeah, okay, yeah, that's uh, that's the end of Dominic Cummings, Arthur, Rob. Uh, what have you seen out there? Well, I just think if you haven't seen it, take a look at the uh, the way that the, the the way that Germany's handling the uh, public information around the coronavirus. So Germany. Uh, Hailing couch potatoes in new videos is the headline that I'm looking at. Uh, but there are three videos uh, that they've that they've got there. Apps, very very funny. They've decided to take a, a humorous way at this. And what they've got basically is the one I've seen in particular that amused me was of an elderly chap who's looking back at the uh, the pandemic from the with the benefit of hindsight of probably many years, and he says. Um, the fate of this country lay in our hands, so we mustered all our courage and did what was expected of us, the only right thing. We did nothing, absolutely nothing. <laughs> and then the BBC didn't quote this bit, but he then goes on to say, day and night we kept our arses at home and fought the spread of the virus. And uh, very, very good. I, I think it gets to the point. Um, there's a couple of others. One is of, uh, of I think he's of his... Uh, uh, his uh, grandson, I think, who talks about uh, being having free reign to play video games all day, and the other ones of his uh, uh, girlfriend. Absolutely uh, great way to do it, and certainly gets the message across. And uh, if you haven't seen it, have a look on YouTube, Twitter, all social platforms. I think you'll be able to track it down. Yeah, you, you will. I, 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 I've seen them because. Uh, Rob kind of alerted us earlier on in the week. They're, they're good. It just goes to show, like you say, Rob, that you could, there are lots of ways of getting your messaging across and using humour is, I think, a very effective one. And these these ads are very cleverly done uh, from, from Germany. Yeah, yeah. I can't I just say that, 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 that our government has used a lot of humour to get its message across, hasn't it? Inadvertent humour. <laughs> they didn't mean it. They didn't mean it. But it was humour. It was very humorous. Do you know what? I think what I think before we get Neil going on an, on another rant, I think I'll, I'll bring us to the end of this week's pod uh, because we've covered a lot of ground this week. So let let's let's close it there. Uh, but sorry, Neil. But thanks, Rob, Neil, and Arthur. Um, good stuff this week. Uh, very good discussion. The pod's available on the Pharmacy Magazine website uh, from all your usual download sites, of course, now including Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, everything. Uh, we're, we're, we're everywhere. Um, also, uh, look out for um, a Recognition of Excellence podcast, a special that we're running next week. I think we're going to release it where we celebrate uh, with the Training Matters team the very best of the country's pharmacy support staff uh, look out for the webcast as well next week next tuesday that rob mentioned that we're doing with newmark that's going to be good uh, but for now from all of us thank you very much for listening 